Psalm 48. So, let's give our attention to God's Word. Psalm 48, a song, a song of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion, in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled, they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded, they were in panic, they took to flight. Trembling took hold of them, their anguish as a woman labor. By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. second time tonight, Psalm 121, 1 and 2, and Psalm 122, I, I try to be a student of uh, worship as much as I can, and it's interesting to me that the, that call to worship, along with Psalm 122, 1 and 2, 
in every book published about Calvin's Geneva worship was the call to worship he used every Sunday. Uh, and it is about, uh, we in Arkansas think that's about the hills in Arkansas. To the hills, you know, and uh, I, every time, many times I'm called on as uh, someone's favorite song at their funeral service and and uh, I honestly have to think about it. But it, it's not about the hill, hills, any, it's about the hills of Jerusalem. It's about the temple. And the psalmist is saying, I will lift up my eyes to the hills where the worship, the only true worship of God uh, can occur according to his words. We have the superscription, uh, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Uh, there are several psalms that have the superscription. Uh, I remind you they're not inspired, uh, but there are there is long tradition behind them. Most of the Bible scholars think that they are somehow linked to uh, the Korah that's in the book of Numbers and Korah's uh, rebellion, and this is somehow a legacy uh, showing how even the children of uh, those who uh, are not faithful to the covenant are somehow used in the kingdom. I, I've read so many different interpretations of that. Honestly, I, I can't say that one way or another, and I'd like to think that that's the case. And uh, it's a picture, if it is, of the grace of God. We know they were musicians. We know they arranged music and they were um, instrumental in the temple worship. And so we see that readily, uh, whomever they are. Um, there is something of uh, a reference to the time frame. If you, if some, some scholars, um, we'll come back to that, but it, it's, a, it's an interesting thing to observe. The Psalm begins with declaring the greatness of the Lord, the greatness of Yahweh, that he is greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain, which is Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is not merely a physical address. Even in this song, we will see it's um, beautiful in elevation. It's the joy of all the earth, Mount Zion. In the far north, the city of the great king within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. Now, some of you know geography pretty well, or you have a map in the back of your Bible. You see, do you see an issue here? about the location of Jerusalem. It says it's in the north. It's kind of in the middle. Maybe if you go from the historic boundaries of Dan to Beersheba, but it's more toward the southern third of Israel than the north. So what? So what is that? I, th I have a simple opinion about it. I think it's up. I think that's the only right explanation that you can make of it. Now, we all know, we read a map on every map, 
1559, uh, the Mercator map, famous Mercator map, north was up on the maps. And the northern hemisphere that we live in is up on the maps. Not always true. Uh, there, there are people in Australia who resent that and they make their maps from the south. <laughs> uh, and, and throughout history, maps have been orientated in different directions, like Christian maps uh, in, the, in the Middle Ages, Dark Ages, were oriented toward the east, toward Jerusalem, for this very reason. But it makes sense from a number of perspectives, I think from God's perspective, is that this is talking about more than merely the physical location of Jerusalem in the Middle East. It's not only, it is speaking of that. It's literal Jerusalem, of course, but it's also a right for us to sing hymns like the first one, which is one of my all-time favorites, um, uh, Zion, City of Our God. Zion, uh, the, the place of God's uh, meeting with and residing with his people. And the New Testament underlines that repeatedly. We've been, one of the wonderful things about going through the Sunday school class is it's going through those passages and hearing, uh, hearing them applied to the church. The Apostle Paul does it over and over again, or uh, well, at least at least three times in Galatians, Philippians, and Ephesians. He talks about Galatians 4:26. The Jerusalem. He's talking about the this present Jerusalem. Speaking of Jerusalem that existed when he spoke, is in bondage. She's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem we look to, which is above, is free talking about free grace. Uh, in Philippians chapter 3, it's not, not an explicit reference to Zion, the temple, but there is an explicit uh, reference to citizenship. Where is our citizenship? Paul makes a big deal of his Jewish pedigree. He makes a big deal of his, at times, of his Roman citizenship. Philippians 3, he talks about the fact that our citizenship is in heaven. And again, the passages from the book of Revelation that we looked at briefly this morning point to the end of time that heavenly Jerusalem, Revelation 21, verse 2, verse 10, talk about the heavenly Jerusalem, which is our ultimate destination. Certainly, David, if this is David, or, or, or perhaps a later uh, psalmist, one of the songs of Korah, who put this hymn together by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, had these things in mind. But the spiritual application, that this is our fortress, this is our place of refuge, this is the place that we're, we can have confidence in the midst of the trials and the troubles of this world is absolutely essential for our spiritual well-being. It gives us confidence. And we live in an age where this truth has been much diminished, much set aside, uh, 
the, 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 the doctrine of the church um, that we hold so dear, that's so elevated in our confession, that's so elevated in scripture, uh, often views the church as just some kind of uh, parentheses in God's plan of salvation. This understanding of the church includes the Jewish people of old and all the Gentiles who put their faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is not replacement theology, it is fulfillment theology that we hold to. And it should be the source of our great confidence. The second thing I would point out from this psalm in verses 4 through 8 is first of all uh, that Jerusalem is the place where God uh, resides with his people the second is in verses 4 through 8 that God defeats the enemies of his people talks about the kings assembling together as soon as they saw that, saw that they were astounded, they were in panic, they took the flight. Trembling took hold of them, their anguishes of a woman in labor by the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. That's uh, in Lebanon, the coast of Lebanon. Famous for shipbuilding. We don't know the exact historic events the psalmist is referring to, but it could have been one of several. It could have been um, um, the events surrounding uh, Sennacherib's um, um, invasion, the, the, the king of Assyria is sending his army to destroy it, the one that uh, Isaiah confronts and, and, and prophesies miraculously, this mighty army of 185,000 that's about to descend upon Jerusalem and destroy it, it's going to be turned back. And the famine and the siege is going to be lifted all at once. And all the people laughed. And, and sure enough, it happened exactly according to the plan of God. It could have been that time. It could have been or a little earlier in the time of Jehoshaphat. Some, some scholars think it's definitely the time of Jehoshaphat because it references in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 19, 25, and 26, it also references the Korathites. So it would make sense that song, the sons of Korah would sing a song uh, in reference to the defeat of, of uh, God's enemies by, and it was, a, and it was a, a coalition of nations. It was Moab and, and Ammon and all the surrounding nations came against Jehoshaphat and Israel, if you remember, and Jehoshaphat was given a great victory. Perhaps. Uh, it could have been earlier in David's life. And how many times was he surrounded by enemies? And God gave him miraculous uh, deliverance. The application, and I think, I think the, whole, the, the scripture is purposely vague because the application is universal to God's people. In whatever circumstances that we're in there are enemies that hate us that want to destroy us it's the world system that hates God's people God himself 
to his people. We, my, people my age in the South, we grew up in an environment where, where that was unheard of. Everybody was a Christian, right? All of a sudden we have this unbridled uh, hostility to God and his word and his people. And it's let loose at every level. I mean, the things that go on in the public discourse uh, are mind-boggling. Are mind They're absolutely mind-boggling that they can even take place and people don't even bat, bat an eye. We have enemies. We have the world. We have our own sinful flesh. The, the Apostle Paul describes in Romans chapter 7 that we constantly war against the remaining sin, the good that we would do, we don't do, and we practice the very evil we hate. We war spiritually. We shouldn't take our whatever our besetting sin and make it a pet. It's a, it's, it, but that's what is, is advocated today. And to bring it in and say we all must admire it and appreciate it. We are to deal severely with our enemies. Um, and the devil himself, the devil's real. The devil and his demons are real. We, the Bible is emphatically clear that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we, we battle against spiritual forces in the heavenly places. And our weapons are not carnal weapons. I am. Uh, I'll confess, one of my upsetting sins is I watch far too much alternative media. And uh, that includes and, and what happens in the, uh, in Portland, Oregon this weekend, Christians were trying to meet in the public park and uh, have a prayer group. And they were absolutely brutalized with Paint bombs with, with pepper spray, with uh, clubs and shields. They couldn't have a prayer meeting in public. So there, there's that. There's that whole thing. So what are we to do? And my, my flesh wants to go out and take the. I, it just crawls. My flesh crawls. But the scripture is very clear to us. We do not possess the power of the sword or the claw. We have something far greater. And when we commit ourselves in the midst of that hostility, and I'm so, and by the way, what I watched, I was so incredibly blessed by the Christian response. We did not respond in God. I was just like, I, I could not have done it. I could not have done it like those dear brothers and sisters and their children did. But that is exactly in the face of that hostility, what we're called uh, to do. Because God will fight for us. He will win the battle. Kings assembled with their mighty armies against Israel, whether it was against David or whether it was against uh, Hezekiah, whether it was against Jehoshaphat, uh, 
the, the, the kings of the surrounding nations coming against Israel, when God chose to intervene on their behalf, they were defeated. And that is exactly the truth for us spiritually. When God decides to defeat enemies, he can send a strange east wind to blow the mighty ships of Lebanon onto the rocks. Or if they have, I don't know if they have rocks in the Middle East or not. It made me think of the, the, uh, the uh, Spanish Armada in the uh, 16th century. Um, you know, if you're got any English, but if there are any Spaniards here, I, <laughs> but I just love that. Lord Nelson's uh, incredible victory. The Spanish are sailing up the channel. They're going to smash the, the uh, Protestant Reformation in uh, England, and it's going to be a glorious victory. And, and what happens? There, there kind of becomes a strange wind, and the, uh, the English are able to burning ships into the Spanish galleons and, and then the rest of the fleet tries to go around Scotland and England and they get blown against the rocks. I'm probably there are two Navy captains here and I'm probably messing that up. <laughs> but it's something like that. God use the weather. That's what it says here. God will use the weather to win the great victory. Probably should have used the patent. <laughs> Chaplain, write me a prayer. Oh, that one please cracks me up. It's a true story, by the way. Yeah. Because God will fight for us. And he will prevail. And on what basis do we prevail? Verse 9 it makes it clear it's based on his steadfast love. We go to the temple, we go to the place of worship. What do we meditate and what do we consider? We consider God's steadfast love, his chesed, his unconditional love. It's the Old Testament word for grace. And it's in, where is it found? It's found in the midst of the temple. It's, that's why assembled worship is so important. This is where we get grace to help us in our time of need. But the result is God's praise reaching to the ends of the earth. We're to be glad. It says, let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Now we said, we sang this song this morning, by the way. Did you catch it? And, and, and we're going to sing it again. We're going to sing it again to a different tune. So uh, this is uh, two really good tunes for uh, Psalm 48 in our new hymn book. Um, so we'll, we're going to sing it again. But uh, you may just think that this, the daughters of Zion are, uh, you know, God elevating the place of women. It certainly does doing that. That, but it's, it's talking about Jerusalem and the surrounding cities. The daughters are the surrounding cities. The whole land is going to be blessed as a result. The daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgment. The church 
is Christ's bride. The church in the Old Testament and the New Testament is Christ's bride. That imagery is throughout the Old Testament and it's in the New Testament. It's explicit. And there is no more honored position that you can be in than to be a part of Christ's bride. And to be united to him by faith. Go out walk around the ramparts, the, the uh, battle casings. Look at her towers. Look how strong she is. Why is she strong? Because of the grace of God at work in her. Consider her ramparts. Walk around them and consider them. What, what are the ramparts? Well, this is probably really bad uh, uh, exegesis, but I love the Puritans. <laughs> and I love what John Owen says about the ramparts. What are the ramparts of the church? He says, number one, is the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That is the bulwark that we rest behind safe from our Number two, it is the promise of God. The promises of God in his word. The promises of God. Number three, it is the wonderful providence of God. Number four, is his spiritual presence that he is with us he he is with us in our midst in gathered worship in a way that is not true at any other place private yes private worship is important yes family worship is important is essential for spiritual health but there is no substitute for the gathered worship to praise honor God and number five he says is the covenant of God God's eternal covenant that he made among his persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in order to save the people for himself covenant that cannot be broken, that cannot fail because God made it and that is our rampant that is our confidence in the midst of the onslaught of our enemies. Amen. Heavenly Father, bless uh, our understanding your word read and come tonight its application. Bless us as we approach your table uh, to receive uh, the grace uh, that is imparted through obedience to this uh, receiving this sacrament. And may we do so in a way that pleases you. We pray in Jesus' name.